Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello Jazz Nation, thanks for dropping by um, we've got a pretty good show lined up for you, uh, just ma- mainly because we actually have regular season basketball to talk about, and I think these shows are getting progressively, like every time we're getting more and more excited, because first it was we have preseason, then we've, you know, we're getting through the preseason, and now it's the culmination, although I feel like next week we're going to say the same thing, where we've got even more to talk about, which will probably be true, because just... We're two games into the season. We know one forty-first of what's going to happen this year with the team. So there's a lot more to come. Yeah, but it's also felt like a play, like the playoffs started. <laughs> yeah, that that was just an intense game, and I don't know how many of you guys got to see the game Friday against the Warriors. It was absolutely insane. It just such a fun game, man. That was good. Yeah, it it I was really I was legitimately depressed. Like if we'd been blown out by thirty, it would have been like, oh whatever, we lost to the Warriors by thirty. But this it was like, oh we nearly beat them. We played so well, and it hurt more because of that. Just because we had victory in our grasp, the Jazz were going to win, and then they didn't because you know they blew it. And you gotta say that for as much positive as there is, there is negative that has to go with it. There's criticisms, but. Since it's only game two, we have 80 games to work on it. I say we, though I'm not going to do any of that work. Yeah, well, we're just going to sit here and uh, and uh, discuss. But yeah, I don't know. I think it was more or less like, for one, that was on Rudy for um, kind of forgetting that a shot had gone up. And he just let Jonas Drebko sneak in and get that rebound to tip in. I mean... But, yeah, they did blow it. But I think it was more or less the fact that it was a good reminder that the Jazz can't quite play the same pace as the Warriors yet. Yeah, and that is the the big thing. And I believe the uh, the commentators, they brought it up too. That, or maybe it was the post-game people. I can't remember who said it um, before I turned the, the TV off. Is that they were trying to play Warriors basketball. The Jazz can't play Warriors basketball. Rookie Rubio's not Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell's not Clay Thompson, and Joe Ingles is almost Kevin Durant, but not quite. So, and I, I joke, of course, but Joe Ingles has been playing spectacular. Oh, man, he's been our MVP already. Yeah. Uh, so, they need they, in the first half, they were, first of all, they're shooting really well, and so you're not going to score 81 points in a half usually. The Jazz are usually not going to score too much more than 50. They'll be between 50 and 60 usually about every night um, if it's a good half. But in, and but they were shooting really well, so they got to the 81 points. They were just exploiting the Warriors' defense. They were getting open shots. Everyone was just going nuts. Oh, there's my phone. But they did really well. They executed their offense. In the second half, they were going all right, but then they just... They got too cocky. They were taking bad shots, shots that yeah, they, they were supposed to take. Yeah, they went back to stagnation. I like it was just weird. I'm like, wait, what? Come on, you guys have been moving the ball the whole game. 
Yeah, one of the things I have to point out is that at halftime, Ricky Rubio had nine assists. Yeah. He had he had ten the whole game. So one assist in the second half. And he was just going absolutely nuts. And Yeah, and I don't I don't think it was anything that Golden State was doing defensively either. I think it was just all of a sudden they that that cockiness played into it. It was like, ah, uh, we could just play isolation. We've been doing it this whole game. Let's just rely on that. And was the ultimate downfall. Yeah, and and I totally agree. The Warriors didn't win this game so much as the Jazz lost it. The Warriors obviously helped matters by the fact that Steph Curry went off, and I was there sitting with a couple of my buddies. We were watching the game together. Uh, we, we both all pretty much said the same thing. Steph Curry is going to go off, and he did. And yeah, well, no, no lead is ever safe on Golden State, ever. It doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, you have four all-stars on the team. There's five, but one of them is still coming back from injury. But yeah, I mean, like Kevin Durant, you can't stop him. He's unguardable. Same with Steph Curry. He's unguardable. Yeah, and this has definitely got to be a learning experience for the Jazz, and it's better now than in the playoffs because last year they took it to the Warriors on three separate occasions. And that shows that the Jazz, you know, everyone would say, well, the Jazz match up horribly against the Warriors. Really? Because yeah, not true. In, in the last four games, the Jazz have like a plus 70 point advantage. So you want to tell me that they don't match up that well? Now, does that mean that they're going to win in a seven-game series? I doubt it because playoff Warriors is a lot different than regular season Warriors. But we do know that the Jazz can compete. And they're not just this old team that, you know, plays two traditional bigs that's going to get outmatched every time they face a team that can go five out. Right. Well, and I think that Golden State has probably their worst bench they've had in five years. I mean, their their bench was making countless mistakes and fouling us like crazy. Um, but, yeah, coming back to the pace thing, I, the Jazz, sure, okay, you guys can run. And that's great. Get some fast break points when you can, but you need to force Golden State to play your brand of basketball. Slow it down, keep the ball moving, and that's it. I mean, that's how we beat them last season. Yeah, and, and I think we were doing that in the first half, and it's not so much that we were just shutting them down. They they scored 60 points in the first half. Sure. Well, the defense hasn't been that great. Yeah, and that is the one thing is that we've seen a very different Jazz team in that they're – very efficient on offense so far, or at least not spectacularly efficient, but they've been pretty efficient. They're scoring a lot of points. Um, first off, you mentioned their pace. Uh, right now, their pace would be like last year. We set, you know, a high the highest pace we had since like 1993. So far, through two games, keep in mind two games, their pace is 104, which is nine possessions faster than last year. And it's the fastest since, was that 1983, 1983, 1984? They had 104.9. And, wow. and for the first time since 2011, they have a relative pace that's faster than the average. And in that season, they were barely above average. This year, they're, they're much higher. Um. And I don't know if that's by design. I mean, maybe it's just I haven't been like reading enough or listening to enough interviews with Quinn Snyder, but I, I, I'm wondering if maybe 
pushing pace is a little bit more of an emphasis because I know that getting back on like uh, taking advantage of fast break opportunities has been an emphasis, but I don't know if um, being this fast is something that they're trying to do or they just have a ton of energy and they're like, let's just go. I think it has been an emphasis because when you look at the last couple of years with Quinn Snyder, they have been getting faster. And maybe it's just a couple of games. Maybe it's just the game with the Warriors, but they are moving in transition. They're getting down the floor, and especially when they aren't playing the Derek Favors Rudy Gobert lineup so much. I mean, through two games, Derek Favors is barely cracking 20 minutes a game. You're seeing a lot more of Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder's actually been playing more minutes per game than Derek Favors. So he's spending a lot of time at the four. You're also seeing George's kneeing at the four. And so you're bogged down a little bit less. And you're seeing Ricky Rubio getting Ricky Rubio get out in transition. You're seeing Dante Exum in there, and he's flying down the court. And Joe Ingles is running down there, getting in his spot for a wide open three. So I I think it is something that they're focusing on. They're trying to kind of catch up to the rest of the league, where they're trying to just get more shots because mm. the philosophy in the past has just been we may not get as many shots but we're going to be much more efficient on those shots which is what's been going on for them I mean that year with Gordon Hayward and George Hill they were one of the slowest teams in the league yet per 100 possession they were one of the more efficient ones yeah well and I guess it does it does play into that freedom of movement uh thing that they've incorporated this year too now that make that does make sense yeah so We'll see how it goes season long because I mean right now they're they're they've been really efficient and really fast at least relative to in the past. I don't know how long this offensive streak is going to last. I mean look you look at it right now. Joe Ingles is shooting. Oh, let me look at it real quick. He's shooting something ridiculous. Seventy percent from the floor, sixty-four percent, almost sixty-five percent from three, and an effective <laughs> field goal percentage of ninety point seven. Joe, Joe's the man, dude. He's so good. <laughs> he has. He is. He is the best offensive player on this team right now. Yeah, I, and it's also crazy too because, like, I know we didn't talk about it when we were in the preseason about who could regress. I mean, again, yes, we're two games into the season, and now that Donovan Mitchell has moved to the top of that scouting report. It's like he's he has to learn all over again. He he seems like I've seen him getting blocked so many times at the rim, and he's almost too afraid. He's turned into a jump shooter. That's not good. Yeah, and that's not who he is. His strength was never jump shooting. He's taking right. pull up shots, and he's not he's not reaching into his bag of tricks. That was the thing that made him so good last year. Is he was unstoppable. He had a, things he could do in the paint. You know where his strength was. He was finishing around guys, and like you said, he's jump shooting right now. He's shooting thirty-four percent, and he's taking more shots than he has points. Right, which, which is a huge no-no. It's something you never want to see from anybody who takes more than like five shots. So, I yeah, you said it's two games into the season. I think we'll see that come down. But we saw this coming in the playoffs. And I think Donovan Mitchell needs to, again, be smart. And he's really young, so he's got some time to learn this. But he needs to learn, okay, let me take a smart shot. Maybe let's go to my teammates. Rely on Quinn's system 
because that was one of the things that allowed Donovan Mitchell to progress as quickly as he did, as he bought into the system, and that gave him a ton of open shots and a ton of opportunities. He's not become a superb isolation scorer yet. And so he needs to work within the system and get his shots because when you look at Joe Ingles, he's working within the system, and he's also done a little more dribble drives, which has been very interesting to see. Yeah. But pretty much all of his points come from within the system, going around the screens, using the pick and roll. He's not playing hero ball, and he's averaging almost 25 points a game. Donovan Mitchell needs to go back to that because he, he can do so much more in the system than Joe Ingles because he's got so much more potential offensively. So well, yeah, and he's and he's explosive and he's crafty. I just it's so weird to see it. I don't know if it's just nerves or what, but I can't even say that because even in the playoffs, I mean the word was out. Everybody knew, okay, Donovan is the real deal. We got to we got to focus up on him and he may not have been um a first half player. He kind of, you know, did blended in and did his thing, but come third or fourth quarter it was lights out. Yeah, and I don't know. Just, I think the offseason has gotten to him a little bit where just there's a little bit more rust there. He didn't play five-on-five five basketball over the entire uh, offseason if I was informed right. So maybe he just needs some time to get back into things. You remember the beginning of last season? He really struggled. And then he kind of came into himself, found himself, and became that score that we all know from last year sure but i mean that was a little bit different because he had no idea what he was really about to you know come into and this year he knew the pressure was going to be on he knew that uh teams were going to be putting him at the very top of the scouting report um and i also i also think that he's kind of regretting his like media tour that he did over the offseason that is possible i i do wonder how much that impacted that has impacted him is that I think that was a thought that I had. I don't know how much we talked about on the podcast, but yeah, he, he was basically more of a celebrity than he was a basketball player during the off season, which is easy to do because he's not playing basketball. Right. But you know, did he, how much did he really improve his game? How much hard work did he put in? I'm sure he put in a lot of work because, you know, we know that he's dedicated, but there could be some impact from that celebrity that he's taking it in and now he's got to realize, okay, it's time to get to work. Let's not focus on the lights that are in the stadium, but rather let's focus on playing basketball. Yeah. Well, and I mean, luckily we have the, he has the luxury of a long NBA season. So I'm sure that um, we'll see him back to form. I wouldn't say in no time, but soon enough. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's two games and there, there's some people that, you know, and I've seen on Twitter where some people have put out criticism saying, look, Donovan Mitchell has really struggled these first two games, and there's some legitimacy to that, Chris. Chris I can't talk today. That's okay. What's wrong it happens. <laughs> they, you know, people respond to that criticism, and uh, they're freaking out because, yes, it's, it is a long season, and we can't jump to conclusions. Um, Joe Ingles is not going to shoot – 90% effective field goal percentage the entire season. If he does, all of my tweets about him being MVP are actually going to be realized. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, Donovan Mitchell should be fine. If I mean, if we see a month of this, let's start waving them red flags and say, all right, what, 
what did you do with last year's Donovan Mitchell? Sure. Um, but I want to let's stop focusing on the negatives. Let's focus on all the players who've done awesome. And let's start with the one guy we've talked about hoping he'll go back two years to who he was in Jay Crowder. So Jay has basically done just about everything that's asked of him. He stands in the corner, shoots threes, plays good defense. Um, I've not really noticed anything good or bad about his defense. Um, but I have noticed his three-point shooting. It's been – granted, he's taken, I think, ten three-point shots. Um, but he's made four of them. So he's shooting 40% on the year, which is basically exactly where we want him to be. So. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's – like I said, I mean, I, I knew that it was going to happen. We've gotten Boston J um, in Utah, and that's what we thought we were going to get at the end of last year. Obviously, he had – you know, things going on in personal life. But, yeah, um, get used to seeing him just being all over the place and putting in that effort, playing D and getting open – or not open threes, but he's going to take some shots. He's got his confidence back, and that is that is important. Yeah, and, and actually I just looked up look at his offensive rating. It's actually the highest on the team. Um, oh, well, there you go. And his defensive rating, it's no worse than really anybody else. Not the best, not the worst. Um, it's right about the middle. So he's playing his role really well, and I, and I think he's just going to be a huge impact. There's so many guys where you think if they play their role, we talk about Jay Crowder, we're going to get into Alec Burks and Dante Exman, all these guys that if they play their role to perfection, beating the Warriors in a seven-game series suddenly becomes a thinkable possibility. That's going to take a lot. We're not. I'm not expecting us to get the perfect Jay Crowder, the perfect Alec Burks, and the perfect Dante Exum and Joe Ingles and all that. But it does lend you the, the possibility, the potential, how good this team can be if all of these role players end up being as good as they can be. And it's just an exciting proposition. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. If this team, if this, if everyone does what they're supposed to do, this team will be uh, scary all year. And speaking of scary, there's one player who I think both of us has been on the hype train. Me, more so, I just absolutely love him. Uh, Dante Exum. Um, he's, he's been everything I hoped for and a little bit more, to be honest, uh, just with how he's played, he scored 13 points in each game. He had 11 in the first half against the Warriors. Um, for some reason, I don't even think he really played in the second half much against the Warriors, which worries me a little bit. Um, yeah, that was a little odd. Yeah. Because he really was just a difference maker because when you're six six and you can move your body that well, and I mean, he was giving Curry fits, and Curry's going to score no matter what you do. It's just that's how, that's just the way it is. But the the things that he brings defensively, and the length he has on offense, and that first step. Oh my god, I love that first step. He is so explosive. Yeah, there's just not a player in the NBA who can keep up with him, and if they can, he's like six inches taller than probably. So. His ability to just get to the rim, he's finishing at the rim wonderfully. I mean, his his little floaters and layups look awkward as heck, but they go in the basket, so <laughs> yeah. I don't give a crap. Right. <laughs> he can do a behind-the-back somersault layup, and if it goes in, good on him. So, <laughs> um, after that first game, it was suddenly like, holy crap, Don, Dante Exum played amazing. Ricky Rubio really struggled. Is Dante Exum going to end up starting 30 games down the road? That's a bit of an exaggeration because that was kind of 
a blip on the radar. Ricky Rubio really brought it against the Warriors, at, at least for one half. Kind of like yeah. everybody else did. They brought it for one half and then didn't bring it for the second half. Um, so Dunn Texans going to be staying on the bench, but his his ability to just be a, a two-way, a legitimate two-way player where he's elite as a defender and can be an impact player on offense. That is sixth man of the year potential. Granted, I think Jay Crowder is very much the sixth man on this team, so Dante Dante's kind of the seventh man. He's just he's a threat on both ends, a weapon on both ends. We don't really have there's not really a player like that on the Jazz. We have guys who are maybe elite on one end and then they're just passable on the other end or maybe above average. But Dante mm-hmm. Exum is a legitimate weapon on both ends of the floor. Which, yeah. 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 I mean we we're seeing we're seeing what his potential was going to be. Um now given <laughs> he still has to stay healthy for, you know, the entirety of the season and you know to begin it was still very weird to see him in a, in the beginning of the season it's weird to see that um but yeah i mean he keeps this up uh, he's going to go to the top of the scouting report and he's going to keep us in a lot of games yeah and i think just this whole bench has been playing spectacular there's only one player who i feel like has not played well at all this season and that's Royce O'Neal yeah um, yeah, actually, now that you bring that up, did you see, like, after he kind of, it wasn't even a screen set, but when Curry went down to the ground, they show the replay, and he definitely just kind of, you know, put his shoulder into him a little bit, and Curry over-exaggerated the fall, but even still, after that, Quinn took him out, we didn't see him the rest of the game. Huh. Yeah, I don't know, it, was I, right, I, I, it was that I, play. Yeah, I remember the exact player talking about, I didn't realize that he never went back in, but I mean, he... Uh... Royce O'Neal has yet to make a shot. Uh, he's mm. got, um, and I think he has two rebounds. Nope. Th- oh, hold on. Yeah, he's got like two rebounds on the season. That's pretty much all he's done. Um, well, on the stat sheet. Again, Royce, we've we said this before, a lot of Royce O'Neal is not on the stat sheet. That's not his role. But when you're on the mm. floor, you should at least put up stats somehow. Um, right, but he's he's really struggled. I've not really seen his impact, not really felt his impact. I mean, even George's Nying, I saw his impact in the game, and he's played fewer minutes than Nying. So, hopefully, Royce O'Neal steps it up. But again, back to kind of the original point is that the bench has been playing spectacularly. It's it's Dante Exum, it's Jay Crowder. Those two are really leading the charge. Then it's also Alec Burks, and Alec Burks didn't quite play as well against the Warriors. He was one of seven at five points, and if Alec Burks is one of seven, you're worrying about the positive impact he's having. But against the Kings, he was a very respectable four of seven, 13 points, was plus 25, the best plus minus in that game. And to be honest, I feel like his defense has been much more up to par. Yeah, it has. I mean, like I said, I mean, he seems like he's far more mature, and I feel like it actually has finally slowed down for him. He understands 
what where he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to be doing, when he's supposed to attack, when he's supposed to do, you know, whatever he is asked to do. Um, but everybody has off games. I just think that that was an off game for him. I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about AB. Yeah, I think he'll continue to get minutes, but there's one player who is not getting minutes and that's Grayson Allen. He's He's not playing defense. He's not playing anything right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He is the only player eligible to play so far this season who has not seen the floor. The only person who hasn't is Tabo Cephalosha. He's suspended for like three more games or something. And because Georges Nyang, he's been on the court. Ipe Yudo even saw time on Friday. So Grayson Allen uh, can't get past. Really, Alec Burks is the next guy on that totem pole for him. Um, and really, I think if, if Alec Burks gets, uh, you know, s- starts regressing to kind of the what he was last year during certain points where he was this inefficient offensive you know guy and can't play defense then maybe Grayson Allen can get past that Alec Burks but if Burks keeps playing the way he has so far this year for the most part um and if Royce O'Neal steps up and is anything like what he is last year I wonder, do you think we'll see Grayson Allen this year outside of games where there's an injury or two or maybe guys are sitting out for a game or, heaven forbid, a several-game stretch? Uh, I th- honestly, I, I, hmm, I have two thoughts on this. One is he might not be doing things in practice that Quinn is not liking, whether it's effort or the fact that he's not playing defense well enough for him that he f- feels like that warrants playing time. Or if Quinn just doesn't seem all too comfortable with the cohesion in terms of where the starters are as of now, maybe he wants to see them, you know, he wants to run them through the, um, through the gamut and see how they respond in these first, you know, five or six games, because even still like, I mean, Monday we played Memphis and then we played Houston and I can't even remember who the other one is after that, but we end the week against Dallas. I mean, we may even see him in Dallas. I don't know if we'll see him all the way up until then. Yeah, it'll just be interesting. When is the first time the Grayson Allen is going to check in? And I, I do worry that it's going to be because somebody got injured or because somebody really fell off in their production. Because, uh, you know, like you said, he's not doing something. Quinn Snyder is just famous for if you're if something is wrong with your game, you don't get on the court. He right, did. that happened with A.B. last year. I mean, A.B. just disappeared. Yeah, he did it to Alec Burks. He did it to Dante Exum. Yeah. He, he's done it to players before, and he's doing it again. <laughs> Quinn Snyder is just at it again. And I don't really blame him a whole lot because it's not like Grayson Allen is going to walk in and just be a, a huge impact, or maybe he is. I, I wouldn't know. But right now the team is playing well enough that there's no need to look on the bench and see, all right, who can we play? You know, Alec Burks is playing well, and that's the guy who, you know, Allen's going to be fighting for minutes. Um, although once Tabo gets back, that'll be even harder because, I mean, you talk about the, the cohesion, trying to get these guys, you know, playing well together. Uh, Tabo might not get any minutes. I think maybe he'll just kind of replace Niang as far as what Nang was doing, just being that step in mm. for a few minutes, be mm-hmm. that stretch four while Jay Crowder is out or Derek Favors is out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he, he might not get much playing time either. Or maybe even Yang has surpassed Tabo. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I Like I said, I mean, we've talked about this plenty of times. There is a big, big, I wouldn't say problem, more of a, I guess, a conundrum. Some, something he has to figure out with who's going to get those minutes because there's so many wing players that he could just, you know, move here, move here, come out for whatever amount of minutes and put him back in for another amount of minutes. Yeah, I don't know. I Honestly, I mean, it's not that same situation as last year where um, – Donovan was just thrust into the into the lineup within you know a couple games and then all of a sudden that blew up. We're not going to see that with Allen, no way. Um, he's more or less going to be that that role player like we discussed. And yeah, I mean it's a matter of when he comes in. Game after Houston was New Orleans, which Anthony Davis is unreal again. So I don't think we'll see him in that game either. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it it'll just be whenever just he's going to have to seize on some opportunity just like Donovan mm. Mitchell did just like you said and I don't know if that opportunity is going to come because there's a ton of depth which which is a good thing for the Jazz we actually have depth and we have depth in a good way I mean for years we'd always talk about oh our big men in a long jam we have four guys that could start at the power forward or center and now it's like okay we don't really have a, a log jam, it's more like we just have a lot of good players and they fit together. We finally managed to build a roster instead of just a collection of players who were good. Sure, um, yep. You know, all this fits together. You know, you, you have your starting five, then Jay comes in for Derek Favors, or and then you know, somebody comes in for Rudy Gobert, or uh, maybe, maybe Favors comes back in for Rudy Gobert, and then you know, go from there, you're just subbing guys in and out, and you're creating cohesive lineups that work on offense and we're still working on the defense which I, I do want to talk about because this defense has not been what we're used to um, no not one bit yeah because they gave up 117 to the Sacramento Kings and you know you give 124 to the Warriors that's forgivable that's going to happen at least it's going to happen a lot so, but I mean, the Kings, the Kings, who's, I mean, who's the Kings' best player on offense? Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein led them in offense. I mean, that's, that's Rudy Gobert's uh, specialty should be stopping guys like Willie Cauley-Stein. Right. So, and I don't know if I remember mentioning the, the offensive rating. In fact, I don't think I did the offensive rating. Through two games, were it to hold, it won't, but if were it to hold, it would be the best all time. Um, slightly better than some of those mid-90s teams with Stockton and Malone. Um, but the defensive rating would be the worst all time. By far. I mean, more so than the, the team that went 25 and 57. Or, you know, just you know, a, a absolutely horrible defensive rating when last year was just an absolutely spectacular defensive rating, especially in the last half of the season, where the defensive rating was sub-100. So Yeah. I mean, what was it? It was like, yeah, 120 against Golden State and 110 against uh, the Kings. Yeah, so I think part of this is just that initially, 
you can't quite scout for the new teams. You don't know what they're like yet. Um, so there, and there's going to be some rust. Defenses, you know, offenses around the league are exploding. The, yeah. the points per game is up for everybody. It's several points per game up from last year, uh, league-wide. And so I think maybe it's another one of those things, talk about Donovan Mitchell kind of getting into his thing offensively. I think in the same way, our defense, you're getting guys back together. Defense is so much more of a team game than offense that you've got to fit all these pieces together to get them back and figure it out again. Well, sure, but I mean... Defense is one of those things that you always need to have in your bag. That's the thing that always travels. That's the thing that always has to be there. That's the constant. The the offense is something that you can't always rely on. I mean, yes, the goal of the game is to put the you know get points on the board, but defense should always be there. That's just weird to me that even with um, you know training camp now and preseason is a part of that. Um, it's it's just weird. I mean, we didn't even really see that great of defense in the preseason either. I don't think. No, not really. Not against the starting the the NBA caliber players. We didn't. So yeah, I mean, we we had we had fits against Toronto, and I mean, what happens the next time we t- we play them? I mean, Kawhi Leonard is <laughs> Kawhi Leonard doesn't have an an ounce of rust on him, and he's I mean he's oh God he's so good, <laughs> he's so good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be these these teams. I mean, Golden State they're gonna they're gonna get their points. It's just a matter of making it difficult for them and trying to score more points than they will. But these other teams, like you know your San Antonio Spurs or um, hell even the Houston Rockets, it's you you got to have your defense. You have to. Yeah, and I do wonder. We've brought up the fast pace of play. They're playing nine possessions faster. Maybe that's it. I mean, they're used to slowing other teams down and keeping them out of transition. Maybe now that they're kind of letting teams getting into transition, maybe that's affecting their defense and that they're not able to set up their half-court defense and shut people down. Yeah, you think it's just a matter of them figuring that out? I think it is. I think they're really going to have to work on – obviously they have to work on the defense. I've not exactly rewatched a ton of the games to see exactly what's been going on with the defense as opposed to what it did last year. Sure. Um, so it, it could be the transition defense. It could just be some some rust from the off season in their half court. Um, maybe they're just not able to live up to what they did last year. But they don't even have to do that. They're 14 points above their defensive rating from last year, which is horrible. You know, a defensive rating of 105 would work. They're at 117 right. or 114 or something like that. So, yes, something's got to change, uh, but things are going to change. Again, we're only two games into the season. We'll keep saying that for, you know, you know it's early in the season. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I, I guess these are our observations so far is there's some good and there's some bad. So, got to keep doing the good and work on the bad. I guess that's always the, the mantra for everyone. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say the defense is broken, but um, two games in, okay. Yeah, we'll get. We'll give him that. But still, two games in, you were the best team defense in the NBA last year. You should be able to pick that right back up. Yeah. 
And nothing's broken two games into the NBA season except for Gordon Hayward's ankle last year. That's <laughs> that's it. Um, so, yeah, there's there's all the time in the world to fix it. And, again, we'll know more because right now it's all overreaction territory. Everything good is an overreaction. Everything bad is an overreaction. That's just the nature. Joe Ingles scoring 24 points per game. You have, if If we're thinking that's holding up, that's an overreaction. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen. Although I will say, based on just watching him, I don't think he's going to go down to the like the 13 points per game he had last year. I think he's going to hover in the 16-17 range. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's going to be in there for sure. I mean, he's far he's just he's gotten so much better. We're going to see that consistently from him. Just don't expect him to score 24 to 27 points a game. Yeah. That's definitely not happening, especially because he's not going to shoot 65% from three uh, the whole year. Um, hell, geez, he's just been spectacular from there. He'll do it a lot. He'll do it a lot, and it just won't be all the time. Yeah, he could very well, I mean, any semblance of playing like this, and he'll be the league leader in three-point percentage. And he's right now he's a volume three-point shooter. He took six against uh, the the Kings, he took 11 against the Warriors. So he's shot 17 threes, and he's shooting 65%. So, he's a man. And, and like I, I kind of said early on, he's doing dribble drives, which we, we talked about this in the offseason where we were saying Joe Ingles needs to learn to beat players in isolation If you know, as far as improvements. If he's going to get better on offense, beat players in isolation – and I suggested a post-up game. Well, he decided he was just going to take players off the dribble. It's not always in isolation, but he's taking guys off the dribble and he's beating them to the rim, which is absolutely insane. I've never, I'd never conceived the thought that Joe Ingles would do a dribble drive and beat somebody off the dribble <laughs> more than once. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, well, but he's just so smart. He's got such good basketball IQ. It, it's not, um, I expect it. I don't know. I was I was gonna go for some word. I can't think of it right now. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the natural evolution of him. It's he's figured out some things, and it's, <laughs> he's obviously taking advantage of the things he's figured out. Yeah, at like thirty something years old, he's still improving. I can't believe I'm older than him. <laughs> I'm older than about half the Jazz roster. Yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe not quite that much, but at least a third of it. Yeah, just get used to it. <laughs> it'll, it'll. I still remember when I thought to myself, "Hey, I'm as old as this year's NBA draft class." Yeah, that was nice. Now I'm like six yeah. years older than the rest of the NBA draft class. You can you can legitimately call them kids. Yes, and I do all the time now. <laughs> Good for you. All right. So that's, I think that's just about all we got for today. And thank you so much for listening. I got that right this time. You did. Uh, you did. You did say listening. I did want to bring up real quick before we go, though. Um, go if y'all didn't catch the uh, brawl between CP3 and Rajon Rondo last night, uh, did, you, did you see this? I saw the video. 
And a, there's a GIF I saw of Rajon Rondo punching Chris Paul in the face that is now my favorite GIF of all time. Oh, yeah. I love it. And, like, they, oh, it's so good. But it's like, what what did you expect Rondo's reaction to be? You poking him in the eyeball, dude. Like, <laughs> like oh, I'm, just, I'm so glad that I got to see Chris Paul get punched in the face, though. That's just gold. That's yeah. wonderful. He, if there's a player in the league who deserves it, he's at least one of them. Uh, just like Draymond Green deserves a nice kick in the nuts and, you know, probably a bunch of other players. Yeah, yeah. What goes around comes around. Yeah, and Chris Paul had his come around, and he's going to be suspended for two games, which will include the game against the Jazz. That's true. So, which actually, if we're talking about the Jazz maybe getting the second seed, again, that's that's still kind of going back to our, our top-end predictions. <laughs> uh, if the Jazz beat the Rockets, that's we're talking tiebreakers here by the end of the year. Sure. Oh, that, I mean, yeah. That's a it's a must win. You're without Chris Paul. You have to win that game. Yeah. So, and the Rockets haven't been super impressive. No, not to me too. No, they beat the Lakers. But, they beat the Lakers. Yeah. Sorry. But the, but the Lakers haven't been impressive either. So that was two teams that I felt like were pretty underwhelming, and they're they're very underwhelming in their first games, and then they both slugged it out in a pretty close game. So, but again, that's two games for them as well. We can't assume that they're broken just because we've seen them in two games and they haven't played up to what we thought they'd play. So, uh, we while we apply this standard to the Jazz, we also have to apply it to other teams as well and know, okay, let's not overreact on the Rockets or the Lakers or whoever else that they're suddenly just going to tank. Sure. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody's thinking that, but either way, it's you have a you have a Houston team that's going to be without one of their better players so you best go in there and take that game yeah we'd better and i think we can yeah even with the even with chris paul there i def- i think we can yeah we managed to hang with the warriors and our offense is doing well and if the defense catches up at all then jazz become one of the top teams in the league for sure well, hope you enjoy that black eye, Chris. It's been fun. Oh, I hope he does. All right. Well, thanks again so much. We, I guess, we'll actually close it unless you have anything else to add. Oh no, I just, I just needed to um, announce that beautiful news. I'm, I'm sure everyone saw it, but I'm just, I'm just happy that he got punched in the face. Yes. Yeah, By Rondo, no less. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, I'm happy with Rondo getting uh, that having to live vicariously through Rajon Rondo. With something like that, but it happened, so props to Rondo. Yeah, I'll, I'll give him that. That'll probably be the last time I give him props. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least, you know, I don't know if I'll ever give him props on anything basketball related, related, but anyway. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week, and we'll have so much more to talk about because there'll be a lot more jazz basketball and hopefully, like, three or four more wins, however many games they play. Four. Four. So hopefully we're going to see a Jazz team that's 5-1, and one, so we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much.